up, Disciple Makers? This is the Disciple Makers Podcast brought to you by Discipleship.org. We are continuing down the Lion's Share track sessions from this most recent forum. Dave Buring is talking to us today about the vocations. Just imagine how different our community or maybe even our nation might look if godly seasoned leaders intentionally disciple the next generation. Younger leaders are hungry to learn and grow, and it's the responsibility of those in their 40s to 70s to disciple them in the ways of God when it comes to work. I love hearing Dave talk about this topic. He just has some very insightful pointers about how to cast that vision for people. How do we use our vocation or our passion to honor Jesus and to bring Jesus into the workplace? How do we do that ourselves? And how do we train up those we are discipling to do that? Let's listen to Dave as he encourages us today. Here we go. So good morning to you all. This session is going to deal with uh, vocations and building leaders to shape generations. And so we're going to talk a little bit about vocational disciple making. It's it's what Lion's Share, uh, a lot of our focus is. We work alongside churches, but we also walk alongside leaders in vocations, discipling them in the ways of God, and then help them do the same with other leaders in their lives. And so that's a, that's a piece of what we do. So... I want to start by uh, asking four of my friends who are on my team to come up. And um, so why don't you guys come up? Is George here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why don't the four of you guys just come on up here? And, and I'm just asking them to each take two minutes and to, to share with you kind of how disciple making has impacted them in light of some of the roles they've served in. So Mel is involved in media. Darren uh, has been involved in government. Uh, Laura has been involved as an educator, and George is a business guy. And one of the things that we oftentimes um, don't think about is discipleship can so often just be focused on the church. And what I mean by that is we forget about that we are the church where we serve. And so how do you disciple people so regardless of where they serve in society, they're going to reference things like God's character or God's ways. For example, as a business person, like this is when I'm meeting with business people and I have a chance to address them. One of the ways that I kind of tee it up is I'll say this, hey, what's your bottom line this year? And as soon as I say that, they all give me a financial number, <laughs> right? Because that's how business people think. And, but I'll say, no, 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 no. I mean, like, what's your bottom line of why you do what you do? And we get into eventually the topic of customer service. Most of the time, customer service is treat people well in our store so they come back. Customer service is actually rooted in the scriptures. It's called servanthood. But, but the way we think about it is purely selfish or purely for our business. But if you do it a biblical way, the idea is... Lay down your life to help a person meet a need. And you, if, if what you do doesn't meet their need, point them to somebody who does. Yep. And the, the language I like to use is this. If they, if they come and drink of your well, and they like what you've done, they will come back to your well. But you don't do customer service, so we keep people in the store. We get people coming back. That's not a biblical way of thinking. A biblical way of thinking as a business person is, I'm going to serve them well. And if you serve them well, they will come back and drink at your well. It's a byproduct. It's not a goal. 
You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. yep. And there's things like that that you have to be able to look at biblically and realize, okay, in light of what I'm called to do, what are some of the ways of God? The Bible talks about the ways of God, and the ways of God represent how God would have us go about doing things. So as a husband, the ways of God are lay your life down for your wife. That's the ways of God. If there's a problem in my marriage, guess what? I need to start with me. Am I laying my life down for my wife? That's how it works. Okay? The same thing can be applied in our vocations. And many times we don't disciple people to think that way in their vocation. It's only about your spiritual walk with Jesus. Are you guys tracking with me? Absolutely. But the way to impact society, not by announcing it, but just a backdoor into society, is you raise up godly people that are reflecting his character and walking in his ways in their vocations, you're going to make an impact in your community. Okay? Mm -hmm. So George has been a friend now for about a decade. He's uh, a big help to me personally uh, and to Lion Tree. He's a part of our board. And um, George has served in business. And so George, like, talk to us about um, relationships. Okay. Because the Bible, like, because... God is the most incredible relator in the universe. Shouldn't we be the best relators on the planet as followers of Jesus? Yeah. How does that affect you as a business guy? Well, and I think um, I want to say a few things that are familiar to you, but it's it's like you, you know certain things, but do you apply them? And that's the key. That's right. right. In other words, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean out on your own understanding. We can quote it, but do we live it? Mm -hmm. So, um, and I think you all have heard this before. Theodore Roosevelt said it, you know, People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's exactly it. Uh, I had a situation where um, I was uh, is a opportunity for some new business, and the buyer I was calling on, I didn't get it. So I scheduled a call to go visit with him, uh, and of course he's thinking that I, I'm going to fight to get the order back. And I, I sat with him. And I said, the only reason I'm here is I want to let you know that I put relationships ahead of purchase orders. So I'm glad you made a decision and I just value our relationship. And he just looked at me and go, really? <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, a person's name is the sweetest sound, sweetest, the most important sound in their ears in any language. So names are so very important. You know, don't say hi, buddy. You know, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and then uh, what else is, I, I was walking out of the hotel and I asked the receptionist, they, you know, I asked her that question and she said to me, um, listen, you need to listen. I mean, really listen. <laughs> so that's a little bit of uh, coaching I got this morning. Uh, and then I'm going to the elevator and she goes, and smile. You have to smile. <laughs> and when you think about that, if you smile at someone, they smile back. All right. And then it was interesting. I got a devotional this morning. And it talked about encouraging people, all right? And there's several ways. We need, when we're with people, all right, whether it's in business or anything, we need to be cheerleaders. So everybody do this. Cheerleaders, come on. Cheerleaders. Cheerleaders. <laughs> everybody needs a shoulder to lean on, right? Let's do this. Lean on our, yeah. So cheerleaders. Cheerleaders. <laughs> Shoulders to lean on. You guys will like this, right? Uh, well, actually, it's the next one. Everybody needs to be lifted in prayer. Absolutely. Okay, that's number three. Number four is everybody needs a hug. I heard that this morning. Yeah. Right? yeah. And and it, it, it can be a virtual hug. You don't have to go around hugging everybody. <laughs> so come on, everybody, do this. 
There we go. And, and the last one is, let me think here. I just got the devotional this morning. Everybody needs um, a voice. Everybody, you need to speak into someone's life. You need to speak encouragement. You need uh, to speak the truth. But everybody needs to hear from you. So, so that's speak the word, right? So what were they? Mom. Everybody needs to be a cheerleader, yes. right? Lift it up in prayer. What's that? A voice, yes. Everybody needs a voice. Yes. Okay. Well, that's my contribution. So, so I want you to think about that. So in other words, because George has been discipled to try to be a good relator, that's going to impact how he does business. Okay, and he's going to be carrying things of the kingdom with him where he goes. To be able to say to somebody, I value relationship more than the purchase order, goes very much against the grain of culture. But it's very kingdom, right? So just let's, let's remember that. So Laura, Laura administrates something uh, we do in Lionshare called the leadership games, which is a, a way that we connect those in their 40s to 70s, disciple those in their 20s and 30s spiritually and vocationally. But before she came to us in August, she had been the head of school of a school in Minnesota. And so, Laura, how, how has discipleship in a particular area impacted you as an educator? As an educator? Um, I was fortunate enough to work with my mentor, who was a kindergarten teacher at the school I was at. And... She was someone who was always encouraging, always had my back, always was there to support me. And um, wanted to speak a little bit today on hearing the voice of God. And she always challenged me to make sure you always get up in the morning and have your time. And in my last 10 years of education, um, I was the head of school. So my mornings were not my own. Were not my own. So it was always dealing with the tyranny of the urgent, um, sick teachers, snow days, COVID, all the things that would steal my time in the morning. And she always encouraged me with different scriptures and different things. And it's like, you know what, if you, if you don't have the time, um, you know, you list, listen to scriptures online or listen yeah. to the, the devotionals. Dave has a great app with morning devotionals. Um, another way that um, I was encouraged, um, one story I want to share today is I, about three or four years ago, I, we were in a hiring season for new teachers, and I just didn't have... Um, we had done three interviews and it was a difficult decision. I just didn't have a piece about, you know, which person to offer the position to. And um, my mentor's like, you know what, just pray and seek the Lord on it. And um, it was, and she goes, if there's any fear, there's any confusion, she goes, it's probably not of the Lord. When you have peace, then you know that you have the right decision. And I remember in that season that I remember that evening, I actually had a dream. The Lord gave me a dream and said, go ask your other colleague um, and ask for his wisdom and discernment. And so I, when I approached that person, he, it was like it was very clear, and the decision was really clear, and the Lord really spoke in that. So um, just one, one example of just really waiting for the peace of God and making decisions, whether it's with hiring or with student discipline or conflict, um, just really listening and being attentive to the Lord. So hearing God's voice trying to walk well in relationships. See, these are things that are practical things you can disciple people in to walk in God's ways that then spill out not only in their spiritual life, but in their vocation. <coughs> so Darren and I met back in 2003, 20 years ago, 
And um, at the time that I met Darren, he was working in the White House. And so we, you know, connected there in Washington, D.C. And Darren began to, he was, I really admired Darren because he was really hungry for the Lord and what he did. And so no matter what I kind of fed him, he would digest it and grow. And so Darren, like, what's in an area as a, as a guy that served for you? He's now our executive director for Lion's Share, by the way. Um, but when you were serving in government, like what was a topic for you that impacted you? I would say the fear of the Lord and realizing that you can't function in the ways of the world. I mean, because there's a lot of manipulation and leadership probably across the vocations. But, you know, with government and politics, it's clearly there because it's it's thought of it as the easiest ways to get things done. And I understood that through my interactions with Dave and getting to know the Lord more that that wasn't the most, you know, effective way to do it. You just had to find another way to do it through relationship or kind of serving, you know, being a servant leader. So imagine if you had government leaders that feared the Lord, like just pause and think about that for a minute and think about this scripture that goes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, so have you ever thought about this? If you don't have a government leader that fears the Lord and you wonder why things are going goofy, it's because they don't have wisdom. Like, like do the math, right? So it's a great thing to disciple people who serve in government in something like the fear of the Lord, okay? Mel serves in media. There's a number of things he does, but he serves in media. Mel, what, what has been an area in your own discipleship that you've grown in that's impacted what you do? I would say... Um, learning the the character, the, the different the character of God. So for me, that means you know thinking about what are the ways of God in in this. How does God feel about this? And then applying that in how do I show up in this? And so I work in a lot of media that's um, we will call it more digital media. So that's social media, your websites, your apps, and that kind of thing. But I also serve on teams that do more uh, traditional media, like communications and PR. And so, but most of my stuff is, you know, design related. And, you know, that can be contentious when you have to uh, give critique or feedback. And so one of the things, or even just dialoguing about different things, whether they're PR related or not. And one of the things that has been uh, a consistent practice for me is um, engaging in dialogue and conversation uh, around truth, grace, grace, truth, or grace, grace and truth, grace and truth. Because a lot of times we, we want to give truth without grace, and we think that's enough. And uh, I'm of the opinion that, that that's why in, in our culture, in our dialogue, online, offline, everything is so contentious. And so I have uh, in kind of learning, observing how God wants us to be about truth, but also grace, had to learn how to apply that in just all kinds of things. So whether it's it's a website or it's something that's, uh, you know, not up to brand or code, it's, you know, going to that person and, and you know, uh, honoring them in the sense of, you know, recognizing, seeing that the work that they put in, but then explaining you know, hey, why this isn't a good fit for the brand, or the concerns around it, rather than just saying, yeah, man, that's trash. You know, right, it's not gonna get the same reception. 
Or, for example, recently uh, we had a situation where, well, even one of the employees uh, posted something that insinuated it was better to kill uh, <coughs> that had dissenting thoughts than to protest them. And you know, one of the thing, and then one of the decision makers uh, from PR, you know, came to me and asked me, well, what, would, what do you, how do you think we should, you know, uh, what, what should I say about this? As I think we should be truthful about it. That this person doesn't represent all of the thoughts of all the employees here, but I don't think we should, you know, be mum about it. I think we should address that in in grace and truth. And that's difficult because again, we want to lean all of grace or all of truth, but it's uh, God desires the, the intermingling of those. So, so the thing I just want you to catch, just briefly, is how your shaping of people in the vocations can cause them to look at it and lead differently. Mm -hmm. And don't you think our world needs that? Mm -hmm. All right? Thanks, you guys. I appreciate it. Yay. Good job. <laughs> so uh, let, me, let me give you one other story here on this um, that is a different angle. So we live in Franklin, Tennessee, so the Nashville area. And it's where a lot of people, as we say in the South, they can sing. All right? <laughs> and so. Um, there's one uh, young lady that, that Cheryl and I have walked with over the years who was female vocalist of the year in country music a number of years ago. And she's a follower of Jesus. And she called me one day when she was going on a tour and she'd say, hey, will you just pray for me before we go? So we pray. And, you know, she's really open. So when I get impressions from the Lord, you know, as I'm praying for her, I, when we're done, I said, hey, can I run something by you? And she said, yeah, of course. I said, okay. She, what she was going to do is go on a radio tour. And I said, I don't know what that is. Can you tell me what that is? She said, well, in, in launching a song, this was earlier in her career, she said, I have to go to about 50 radio stations. We do the tour bus, we get there, and then they welcome us, they interview, they, I sing my songs, okay, got it. So I pray. At the end, I said, hey, can I run something by you? And she said, yeah, absolutely. So I said, are you first an artist or are you first a follower of Jesus? She said, I'm first a follower of Jesus. I said, well, that's what I thought. Just wanted to hear you say that. Because a follower of Jesus, no matter the realm of your celebrity, you always look for ways to serve. Do you understand that a follower of Jesus actively looks for ways to serve? And she said, I do know that. So, so I said, so let's talk about your radio tour. So can I give you a suggestion? She said, yep, I'm all ears. So I said, let's say your tour bus pulls up there in San Antonio. The doors open. You're at the radio station. There are people there. You know they want autographs. I said, kindly look at them in the eyes knowing you'll circle back, but just kindly look at them in their eyes. But you need to go to that station manager that invited you. Don't assume they know who you are. Extend your hand. Say your name. Introduce your family. And then say something like this. Hey, while we're here at your radio station today, how can me and my family serve you? And she said, man, I will do it. it. Has been a total game changer in her life. She still does that. She still, this is, and that conversation was 2002. 21 years later, she's still looking for ways to serve. Okay. But see, it takes a follower of Jesus. Let me just kind of put this up here. The difference in the lives of these people is they had a further along follower of Jesus deliberately disciple them in the ways of God, both spiritually and vocationally. There's an intentionality to it. All right, I knew what she did. I know what she's called to. She's great at it. She's got a fun personality, but she also needed to, I wanted to not let her as a young artist get caught in the celebrity 
I want her to realize, hey, whatever platform Jesus gives you, steward it. Don't write it for yourself. Steward it. And one of the ways you can steward it is use it as a platform to serve other people. Okay? But see, if we don't take the time to look at discipleship through a broader lens, it, then we just get like this. And so you can have discipleship in the church, which Lionshire does a lot of, but because in our manual discipleship journey, we every at the end of every lesson, we ask a vocational question, like how does this topic apply to your vocation? So for example, if it's on relationships and the topic was on honoring one another, the question says, how do you honor your boss? As a boss, how do you honor those that work for you? So it poses those ways of God kinds of questions to get it fleshed out into their lives. All right, you tracking with me? All right. So have you ever really paused to consider how we got to where we are today? Things like social strife, racial issues, political tension, the loss of God's truth as a reference point, picking up offenses. Have you ever noticed how that's going around these days? Uh, not hearing each other at a global pandemic, economic shifts, natural disasters, and a spiritual thinness and faulty foundations in God's church. Like COVID, I was on a call uh, towards the end of 2020 with leaders from around the world, spiritual leaders, and there was a common theme of this exposed the faulty foundations in our churches that we have not really developed people. All right. So how do we get there? Check this out. We are where we are today as a people, and I'll just pick our nation, because of the church's lack of engagement with obeying the great commission of Jesus to make disciples. Think about that. Like you might say, that's oversimplistic. I don't think so. We disobeyed the last commandment of Jesus. And because of that, we're reaping. All right. Therefore, we have fewer disciples of Jesus walking the planet whose character reflects his, whose ways of doing things reference his ways, and whose life's mission includes his mission of making disciples. It's just fewer. Okay? Think about this with me. Jesus asked his disciples to reproduce his character, ways, and mission. Okay, his character being attributes like his mercy, his grace, all right, his faithfulness, trustworthiness, all, justice, like like. One of the things we can't get too far from is we're supposed to be little Jesuses walking around. Like, do you, do you realize that when you give your life to Jesus, the first thing he's after is not you fulfilling your destiny. It's, it's according to the scriptures, it's molding your character to look like Jesus. Your personality, your looks, your gifts, but you look like Jesus. And we often skip this whole thing of how do we reproduce disciples who reflect God's character, okay? Also, reflecting his ways, which again, when I say the ways of God, I mean how God intends for us to do things like him. All right? So when we ask the question, what are the ways of God on this? So like when we wrestle with things culturally, we, our starting point is not just, well, I think, or because of my party, I'm this. And no, it's leave all that stuff and say, okay, what's the ways of God on this? Like the ways of God on racial issues, my friends, is... No matter how much money you throw at something from a government, it doesn't change anything. Right. Right. The reality is the church has to rise up and be the church so that people go, wow, look how you guys get along. And until we rise up and do that, it ain't happening. So it all starts with the church. We've got to get our act together, which is repentance, forgiveness. Please forgive me. I didn't understand. I forgive you. You know, it's that. See? That's God's ways. And then his mission is the specific thing as a part of his mission that he's called you to do. 
So you want to disciple people in, around God's character, ways, and mission. So the tools we've created help people do that. Okay? Obviously, it's grounded in the Word. This allows disciples to carry the heart, attitudes, words, and actions of Jesus into every setting and situation of life they find themselves in, including families, relationships, and in their vocations. All right? Begins to make an impact. So check this out. We often use words like work, job, profession, career, occupation, and vocation, thinking they all mean the same thing. Okay? So let me show you something. However, the word calling is rooted in the Latin word vocatio, from which we get the English word vocation. Okay? So in other words, vocation happens to tie into the word calling, which is different than my job. Now, they, the thing you want to do is have those things blended, right? Okay, so, so this causes us to pause. So let me just ask you a question. In the current job you're in right now, could you look at somebody that loves you in the eyes and say, I sought the Lord about this. The reason I'm in this job is because God has led me here. Or was it just because it pays well? Or is it just because I kind of feel like doing that? Like, like, you, well, it's like the, the reality is, it's like the old phrase back in the day was, Jesus, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And part of his lordship is what he's called you and made you to do. And so sometimes we just think, well, hey, I want to be rich, so I'm just going to find something that lets me do that. Well, what if God says, you know, that's not really what I've made you for. And so, so I often challenge people to say, did you seek the Lord about the job you're in right now? Or did you just make it up and decide, ah, oh, you know, I applied for three things, I got this, so I just rode with it. Now God's big enough, isn't he, to just say, hey, I'm going to work with you there. But the way that I was discipled was, Dave, pray about that before you say yes. So I want you to think about that a minute, all right? Jesus has intended that our vocation be a primary way of expressing our call. I'm not saying only, but I am saying, imagine if everybody was doing 40 to 50 hours a week, a thing that God had made them to do. Imagine the impact could be had. It's huge, all right? It's not just a job you go do, it's doing God's work everywhere you go. So like, like, let me ask you this question. When you get up in the morning and you're going to your XYZ job, somewhere in the process from stretching and yawning to getting in the car and going to work, do you, do you run a grid through yourself of saying, okay, God, where do you want me to serve your kingdom today while I'm on my job? That could be as, sim as simple as praying. Like I know people who get to work a half hour before everybody else and they just walk the workroom and pray for everybody. They go over the chair, Lord, I pray for Sally today. And before she even gets here, Lord, I just pray a blessing over her life. And, they, and that's one of the ways they advance the kingdom. Nobody knows they're doing it. All right? And, and you can go on and on and on. Or it, it's like you're in the break room and, you know, you're, there's your workmate, and all of a sudden you just kind of know a tear coming down there. Do you, do you go, well, I'm not getting into that drama, or do you pause and go, put your meal down and say, you okay? Because yeah. it might be right then and there Jesus wants to touch somebody's life. But see, you guys, most of us, we don't think this way. And if we don't think this way as disciple makers, the people that we're pouring into are not going to think this way. So we've got to pay attention and realize if you just ratchet up and be more deliberate, the impact that can be made can be huge. You're raising up men and women of God to serve our communities, our families, and society. I think it's needed today. 
all right? Sorry, this one might be small. This is all, by the way, in our book called The Great Opportunity. Walking as disciples of Jesus means every area of our lives has been yielded to his lordship, including what we get paid to do during a certain 40 to 50 hours each week. Right? It's part of the lordship of Jesus. Our vocation is tied to the kingdom of God. Like, like one of the things, like oftentimes I just feel like people, I got to go do my work and my job, I get my paycheck from, but now I can go to church and do the real thing. You guys, that's, that's not kingdom thinking. I mean, fine to go to church and do the stuff, but, but you also have to realize, why has God placed me where he has placed me? Like some of you guys, like I admire your gifts. Like one of the gifts I always admire because I'm so not good at it is, is like my friend Robbie knows how to fix a car. Like, like my best gift to my car is taking it to Jiffy Loop. <laughs> That's it. Like I, I, I'm, I don't know how. Like I had a friend of mine, Andrea, her birthday, she'll not be at her birthday party on Saturday night. And Andrea about 20 years ago was at our house. And uh, she, we hugged her goodbye as she left. And then the, there was a knock on the door about a minute later. And it's Andrea. I'm going, oh, what's up? She said, my car's not starting. Can you come look at it? So I go out there and I pop the hood and I'm just going like this. And she starts smiling. She said, you don't know what you're, you told me just to come look at it. So I'm looking at it. We had a good laugh. And then we came inside and, you know, I said, let's call somebody, you know. <laughs> so, so we have to realize it's like, I don't know if you've ever just paused to really look at what other people do. Because it's pretty impressive. The gift sets they have, the things they do. Like George works as a food broker. And so the stuff that he does to serve his clients around the northeast part of our country, it's amazing to me. And the, the relationships he built, the skill sets he has. You know, I could ask George, like, what, if, what do you think of this brand or this brand? And I'll trust George saying, yeah, you want to go with that brand. I don't know. Okay. I mean, just think of the thousands and thousands of categories of vocations. So often we can get like this with our own, right? That we forget. And so when I'm with people of different vocations, I want to be curious. I want to ask questions. I want to learn like the unique way that God has wired them. So let me show you this. Calling is about God sending us into society where he wants us to represent him. It's not just getting paid. It's like, have you ever thought about it? Like, like those of you that are pastors or disciple makers, the people that God has entrusted you with, do you help them to see this? Like, like the question I often ask is like, where do you think God wants you to serve in society? What's he calling you to? And helping them with that wrestle, all right? And your calling is kind of a combination of passion, things God has put in your heart that you're passionate about, plus giftedness. Like, like oftentimes when people say to me, so like, like Dave, how do I know what God's calling me to? I always say, start with your gifts, because they're already there. Like God put them in there. And so like, like my gifts are not things around cars, all right? They're more around relationships and communication and vision. That's kind of how I'm wired. When my wife, Cheryl, Cheryl is gifted practically. So like sometimes she'll see me trying to do some practical thing at the house and she'll say, can I help you? And usually I've learned wisdom now to say, yes, please. And Cheryl, <laughs> like what would have taken me 20 minutes, she's done now in 30 seconds. Like how did you... She's also a gifted artist. She paints with coffee. She's known as the Kona Coffee Art. She paints these detailed pictures, these paintings that are amazing. Like my stick men have issues. 
right? So it's like we have to realize we're all wired differently, and God made it that way. But it's learning to honor that, okay? So you have to get from this plus vocational field, where God appoints you in society, plus opportunities, and then in the end, obedience. Like, okay, God, is this what you're asking me to do? I was going to go into television broadcasting right out of high school. It's accepted at the University of Minnesota. I was going to go into that. It was in journalism, was encouraged to do that. And the Lord said, no, I'm taking you to the mission field. In the next seven years, I'm with youth of the mission. I'm on the mission field. And the Lord said, I've given you a communication gift, but it's going to be used differently than you thought. It's not going to be as a television broadcaster. It's going to be different. Oh, oh. See, so there's a place of taking the things God's given you and walking in obedience to what he says to do with it. Okay, that's all part of calling, all right? The vocations aren't just places where we work and get paid. They are meant to reflect and display various aspects of God's character through our lives as we do what we do. It's a very practical way for each of us to bring glory to God. Like, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Can I encourage you to get a copy of the book, The Great Opportunity, all right? We have them here. We have them down on our table. If This is challenging you. But here's the thing. Do you understand that our vocations are actually rooted in God's character? Like when you do what you do, like, like if you are called to government, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And the, he says his government will rest upon his shoulders. So if you're a government leader, you think he might have wisdom for you? What about if you're in construction? He gave specifics of how to build the ark and the ark of the covenant. He kind of knows about that. What if you're a creative? Well, just go out and watch the sunrise every day. Or go, go to the zoo and check out, like, how did he, why did he do it that way? If you're a communicator, he's called the word. If, you, if you're in medic, medicine, he's the great physician. You guys, we have to realize that these aren't just jobs. They're ways to express God's character to the world. It's huge. And, and do you realize people that wrestle with, well, I, feel, I don't feel called to ministry, but I... You know, when I was a kid, I remember the arguments between secular and sacred. The thing you have to realize, that's all gone. This emerging generation of 20s and 30-somethings know they should be doing something for the kingdom. They just don't know what. They're not wrestling with secular and sacred anymore. They know I'm a follower of Jesus. How do I express this in what I do? And so I'll come alongside and say, let's grow you spiritually. Then start making disciples of your peers. Are you guys tracking with me on this? I want, I'm trying to stretch your thinking here a little bit, all right? Vocational disciple-making is developing disciples who reflect his character, walk in his ways, and participate in his mission, all right? So when you're on the job, there's questions like, are, are my motives, attitudes, words, and actions reflective of Jesus? Are the quality and excellence of what I do reflective of Jesus? Like, let me ask you this question. Would your boss, let's say you're not the boss, would your boss say, if I just had another 50 of you, this company would be awesome? Or are you the Christian in the back that whenever your boss turns away from you, you're criticizing him? Like, that's not godly, you guys. That's right. Like, 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 you might be saying, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus. But then behind the scenes, all the people that you work with are going, yeah, right. I mean, you're the one that talks about the boss the most in negative terms. Like, we're supposed to be reflecting God's character and his ways where we work. That other people would say, as we often say in the South, I want to get me some of that. Not, I want to get them out of the office. I want to get them out of the building. Like, let conviction land if it needs to land on that one, because we need to realign ourselves as followers of Jesus. 
We've all seen people who are really loud about expressing Jesus on the job, but then their work does not reflect the quality and excellence that should be there. It's a horrible testimony. We were just talking with someone the other night about this. Our, our kids used to be servers in restaurants. And do you guys know that this is true? They said the, the people, the day that, that servers hate working is Sundays after church because Christians are the cheapest tippers. Like, like, what kind of testimony is that? I mean, think about that. Like, if that's you, walk out of this room from this day forward saying, I will never do that again. And here, they're, they're serving, and you're talking, about, oh, yeah, Jesus has touched my life, and they're hearing little phrases like this, and then you leave them like nothing. Like that, see, we have to become situationally aware and realize, like, like leave a tip that if they heard you talking about Jesus and you just leave a nice, maybe it's 25% instead. <laughs> And then they will connect that and go, wow, those people are really generous. So you guys, I just want you to think about this. It's really important because our actions, our words about Jesus have to be backed up by, by our lives. Look, I think we need to be on a campaign to change this. Instead of practice what you preach, it should be preach what you practice. That's the better order to get it in. All right, practice it. Did Jesus first begin to do then teach, it says in Acts chapter 1, 1. You guys, the, the world is watching, and you, you wonder why they're tired of church people. Like, like Darren's wife, Sonia, has served for years in the media, and she, she has reminded me over the years numerous times, Dave, remember, when you're talking with someone in the media, whoever is the extreme way out there Christian, that's what they think every Christian is like. Mm -hmm. So remember that. So when you're with them, you can bring something different to the table. Like, like we, we have created this mess. Don't, we can't be, like, I get tired of people pointing at the world around us. No, the Bible says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. You, you guys, the whole thing that's going on in our country right now has nothing to do with the world. It has everything to do with followers of Jesus not doing what Jesus has asked us to do, including making disciples. So there's a huge void. And I'm not being oversimplistic. I think I'm just being biblical on this. Why we are where we are. Imagine how vocational disciple-making could transform how a government leader governs a medical professional serves, a scientist observes and measures, a business leader treats their employees and customers. How differently might the world look if the godly parent, educator, artist, musician, athlete, news anchor, techie, farmer, disaster relief worker, and cause-driven activist carried within them the character, ways, and mission of Jesus? It would look different. It would look very different. A failure to provide vocational discipleship could be a failure to help Christians, especially younger ones, keep their faith. I want you as, if you're above the age of 40 today, I want you to understand this. One of the keys right now to impacting 20s and 30s is walking with them in their vocations. If you don't do this, you're missing a huge opportunity. All right, let me just show you a couple things here and then I wanna, I wanna share a little thought of something we're doing here. So there's this survey on Deloitte Digital, 2,000 Gen Zers and 600 bosses that were millennials, Gen Xers, and baby boomers. Gen Z is one of the main drivers of change in today's workplace. 
defined as the generation of individuals born between 1997 and 2012, who so this year are between 11 and 26. So think of the 18 to 26 year olds in the workforce. Gen Z grew up with, a, with smartphones, social media, along with the associated conveniences and pitfalls. They are often the trendsetters, the trend enders, the influenced and the influential. Look what bosses have observed, all right? I'm gonna give you five of these quick. First one is, these are five workplace challenges. Contrasting views on the importance of empathy. Gen Z workers highly value empathy on the part of their bosses and consider it a prerequisite to engagement at work, but bosses do not place as high of a value upon demonstrating empathy. Like, like, you, like those of you that are older, you realize you're gonna to have to take the time with an employee to be able to say, how you doing? It doesn't mean you're their counselor. It doesn't mean you're gonna be their best bud, but you've gotta care. Like if you're gonna hire young people, and, and I know I, I have people pulling their hair out because they're saying all they wanna do is be on Facebook. They're supposed to be working. Well, you gotta step back and okay, this is a different generation. And if you don't relate to them well, you're not gonna be able to speak into their lives. So you've gotta find what are the relationship points. And the first thing you have to realize is there is, it's like a, the, the comment George made, you know, there really is a people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. When you spend a little time just caring about them, they're gonna be open to everything else you have to say. All right, here's a quote from Clara, who is a Gen Zer. Our employee survey asked a question like, do you feel respected? And I thought to myself, no, I've never gotten that respect since management has more of a do your job and get it done mentality. I would say this relational approach might actually be a little more biblical that they're pushing us into. Got to pay attention. Second one, divergent views on mental health and work. Gen Z workers feel they are not getting the mental health support they need in the workplace and believe their ideas on the mental health impacts of, different, of work differ from those of their bosses. Listen to me, you guys. As people that are older, you can know, it doesn't work to say, would you just suck it up and do your job? It doesn't work. Why? Cheryl and I had three 20-somethings and, and one of those husbands come and spend a weekend in our home about two months ago. And they asked for some what we call freedom prayer. Just to, I got some stuck places inside. Could you guys pray with me? And so we spent a weekend doing this. And one of them, Taylor, made this comment to us. She's 26. She said, Dave, I do not know one person. And she's pretty broad in her relationships. I don't know one person my age that doesn't wrestle with anxiety every day. Yeah. So when you, when you look at this, you could go, oh, come on, suck it up. You got to understand, this is a generation that has grown up with 9-11, school shootings. We, you know, as a 63-year-old, I didn't have any of that. You got to realize they're growing up in this, in this world that's different, and, and they wrestle with things. So here's a quote from Alexa. I want to leave work. I, I want to leave work at work and not feel like I have to think about it. I don't want to feel overwhelmed. You just have to realize we're going to have to learn patience, which is actually one of the fruit of the Spirit. Could they actually be pushing us to look more like Jesus and what we're doing? Here's a third one. Differing views on the importance of work to personal identity. 61% of Gen Z feel that work is an important part of their identity. 86% of their bosses say that work is an important part of their identity. A little bit of a conflict there. Like I run into people of this age group where work is valued, they, they like working hard, but it's not their whole life. For many of us that are say 40s, 50s and older, 
it's been at like 86% that it's part of the identity. I mean, think about it. when you meet someone, hey, what's your name? My name's Dave. What's the first question? What do you do? That's not how Gen Zers think. Hey, what do you like to do for fun? Hey, do you want to go to the game tonight? So we have to we have to realize if you're going to shape a generation, you have to take the time a bit to understand and relate to where they are. Okay? Here's a fourth one. Insufficient training and job readiness for success. Both Gen Z workers and their bosses feel that Gen Zers are underprepared. So there's unity here, all right? And undertrained for their jobs, but struggle to address these deficiencies increasingly virtual work environments. Like how do we actually help them get better at what they do? Right? There's an agreement on this one. Insufficient training. Like so often we put people in roles they don't even understand how to do. Do you realize part of discipleship is discipling the person in how they should do it so they feel comfortable doing it, so they can excel at it? Okay. Here's the fifth one. This is really interesting to me. Contrasting reward and recognition structures. Gen Zers want time off as a reward from bosses, whereas bosses favor traditional forms of reward and recognition. Like, do you understand? Like, instead of, they don't want you to pay them more. They're just saying, can I get an extra week off? Why? Because they live a whole life that they want to do other things. They're not married to their job. They value it. They want it. They'll give everything they have, but it's not the thing. And so we have to, we have, if we don't stop and recognize these kinds of things, we're going to lose the opportunity to shape the next generation. And so guess what? follower of Jesus that's older and more mature, we need to be the ones that adjust as a starting point. I'm not saying you go into everything that's there. I'm not saying that. I said as a starting point. So then you can relate and say, hey, let me show you this. I want to show you the value of this. I want to show you the ways of God on this. But you have to be willing to meet them where they are. Just like it's an amazing thing, isn't it? God sent his son to meet us where we were at. It's a, it's, an incarnational mentality as followers of Jesus. We have to do this. Cheryl and I spent seven years as missionaries, and so the, it got put into us, this whole thing of recognize your environment, and how do you find ways to relate within, within that environment? Okay, you guys tracking with me? So this vocational piece is, is huge. Here's Edmund. He said, I was doing overnight shifts and working long hours. I left working feeling drained. I found that work started taking away my focus to play rugby and make music. These were activities that were part of my identity. See, so it's not nothing negative about work, but how, how they wanted to do some other things and work could be, begin then to wear them out so that some of the things that actually refueled them, they couldn't do. That's a whole different way of looking at it, isn't it? Then, just suck it up, man. Get the job done. When you have time off, that's up to you. It's a different world. And we've got to look at this. But some of this, I have to tell you, has some smacks of kingdom in it, of God pushing us to a little bit more relationship, a little bit more understanding, a little bit more patience. All right? So don't be looking at the next generation. Oh, get it together. Hey, you got to remember, many of them have been raised just in, in, in environments where anxiety over, on overdrive. And they're looking at you as an older person to just say, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Here's ways that you can walk to trust the Lord, to grow and carry. It's going to be all right. They long to hear that. There's, a, there's something the Lord's been putting in my own heart on this. If whenever we're with this age group, it's like I felt like the Lord said, it's important that we come across to them as mothers and fathers. Mm -hmm. 
not experts. And so that might mean uh, taking the time to communicate, I'm really glad you're in my life. All right, and taking the time is one of the great gifts you can give to them, okay? And time will come before wisdom comes out of you that you have. How much is the kingdom thought of God as the Father in God's name? Say that again? That that coincides with the kingdom thought of God as the Father and not as the expert. Exactly. It's it's exactly right, but it's like, I highlight that because it's so, it's not done very often. Mm And, and it's being able to um, recognize that God has a father heart for this emerging generation and a mother heart. You know, he's got, he's, and I don't say that, you know, remember, it took man and woman in creation to express God's character. Let's never forget that, right? So that, that it's like God expresses himself in, in ways through both men and women where people can be loved. All right? So it's an important piece. Good stuff. So, question, are you prepared to disciple the generation coming up behind you for Jesus and his kingdom? So things that we need to be considering and looking at. So, you guys, just so you know a little bit about us, I'm, I'm literally just going to pass this by, but so you know, this is the resource, not the, the statistics I just gave you, literally I got last week, so they're fresh, so they're not in here. But the whole vocational thing, if you feel like you're challenged and pushed to say, I need to understand how, you know, making disciples of Jesus in every vocation, how can I do that? This is our practical tool. It's a year-long journey. The, the way we created it was how, how can you get the most people discipled? And so the way that we do it is this. Someone takes seven minutes and watches a video, takes an hour with their Bible, and goes through a chapter, and then they meet for one other hour live face-to-face or on Zoom, and you ask two questions. You've done this. What is the Holy Spirit revealing to you? How are you going to obey it in your life? Very simple. But... But it, but it helps you begin to apply it into your journey and into your life, okay? Um, a leadership journey is something that I lead every January to June where we take um, a handful of leaders. This year it's 14 leaders from, we've got about three or four that are kind of in ministry. The rest are leaders in society. And we meet in January and April in Nashville for a retreat. And the rest of it I ask for five hours a week where I give them things to watch, read, and listen to. And then every other week, we jump on Zoom and we process those things. How does this apply to your life? How does it apply to your vocation? How does it apply to your situation? All right? If that's something you're interested in, you let us know. This is the, the if you go to Lionshare Leadership Group on your app store, you'll find the app that has our, our, we have a daily video devotional on the character of God. So if you, if you went through every day for two minutes for a year, you'd go through 101 attributes of God's character three to four days each and renew your mind from Scripture about what God says about himself. Okay? Um, and then I, I just wanted to, I wanted to tell you about this because of, of the ages also represented in this room. So this is, this is something we're doing called the Leadership Games. We're launching it this summer. We have begun the process over a year ago on this. So what it is, it's discipling next generation leaders in the ways of God. And so we are helping 40s to 70s to learn how to disciple 20s and 30s both spiritually and vocationally. So this summer in Nashville, and yeah, and get a hold of this, you know, it'll give you more information, and it's certainly something you can pass on to a 20 and 30. Um, we only can have, we have capacity for 80 to 90, 20s and 30s this year, but we're looking for 20s and 30s in these vocations. Business, arts, entertainment, media, the church, government, law, and nation security, which would be military, police, that kind of thing, and health and wholeness, counselors, doctors. And what will happen this summer 
is they will gather in Nashville for five days, four nights at Lipscomb University is where we're hosting it. And the mornings will be discipleship themes. Well, they'll get their Bibles and discipleship gym. We'll get them used to kind of being in the word. Then in the afternoon, they're going to be in their vocational teams where we've made up an imaginary city called Hebron Hills, 375,000 people. And here's its problems. And in the afternoons, you're going to have these old, like in the business group, let's say you're going to have George and his team of seven others who are in their 40s to 70s, wise, seasoned, godly, respected leaders. And then let's say you have 20 uh, business people in their 20s and 30s. And what we're going to say is here's the problem of Hebron's, Hebron Hills in the business realm. Leave your government or your politics at the door, your denominational leanings at the door. How do we fix this? Through, through Jesus, his ways, his kingdom, and his word. How do we fix this? Then after an afternoon break in the evening, we're going to deal with the light and fluffy topics of race, politics, and gender identity. Because that's where they are living. And so we will have somebody do a 10, 12-minute presentation, sit down, have a conversation with two, three others, and then we'll open up for questions. Because many 20s and 30s have said to me, I don't have a safe place to talk about this stuff. So we're going to let them talk about it. And yes, we'll talk about what does the Bible say, but we're also going to talk about how are you supposed to be a good relator to people who are different than you? Because if you watch that, like, are any of you chosen fans? I mean, you see Jesus no matter what setting. Ben's Jesus. He's Jesus. Ben's Jesus. And, and, and it's like we need to be able to, to say, how do we live like that? So we want to disciple the, the next generation spiritually, vocationally, and socially. All right, so let me just tell you this. If any of you have an interest, we've literally just started discipling for the 2024 leadership games, like three, week, three weeks ago, George. And so we have these five vocations, plus education and family. And if, you, if you'd say, hey, I'd love to be a part of that, and let me get discipled in that way so that I could be a part of the 24 games, because what happens is when the games is done in Nashville, every one of those 40s to 70s will have two, three, uh, 20 to 30s that they will disciple for, for one year through the same material they went through and become their vocational answer person. Hey, I'm in government and I've got this moral dilemma. And what's the ways of God on this? We want to disciple the next generation to ask this question. What is the ways of God on this? Whether it's family, marriage, community, vocation, what is the ways of God on this? Because we've gotten accustomed to doing the ways of the world. What's the ways of God on it? So if you have an interest in being a part of our team and saying, hey, I have a heart for the next generation, show me how. Come be a part of our team. Here's where I need your help now. All right? If you know of 20s or 30s, or if you're in this room in your 20s and 30s, and you're saying, I would love to be a part of that, or I know somebody, because here's all we're looking for. They love Jesus. They have a sense of, I think this is what God's calling me to do, knowing they may adjust over the next few years and they would like to be discipled, we've got people that ha are laying down their lives to be prepared to do this for them. So if you have that, take a shot of this, and then you can always go to our lionshare.org website and info at lionshare. Say, hey, I've got this person, and Laura will follow up with you. Okay? Questions? That's all I got. That's all you got. Questions? Has George told you about what we've done at the bridge with the big tip challenge. Have you told me, George? But anyway. So this is following up on our tip conversation. Yeah. yeah. So during COVID, Pastor Mark all come out with the big tip challenge. We give 100% of the tip. We give 100% of the bill and the tip. 
We had so many calls from employers thanking us that you've made a difference in that person's life that now we continue that on. And what I wanted to tell you was, I was at breakfast this morning at Waffle House, and the young lady that was waiting on us was very broken down. Mm. No teeth, mm. very broken down. Mm. And I asked her, I said, you know Jesus? She said, no, I, I don't want nothing to do with it. And I'm like, well, that's a shame. And so, you know, I said, he's real. I said, he loves you. So as I was leaving, I said, and the bill was 20 bucks. I said, are you allowed to take tips? And she said, of course. I handed her a $50 bill and I said, God loves you. And so do I. She started shaking uncontrollably. Totally. And I'm like, well, got you. <laughs> Way to go. So, so, so let me say something about this, you guys. So, so my brother works in the media, kind of high level media. And Thomas said to me at times, Dave, I feel bad for you sometimes as a pastor because you have to work so hard to see fruit. He said, all I have to do is do one step beyond the cultural norm in serving somebody and it blows them away. Those, those of you that, yes. Literally shaking. Exactly. Pastor Harrod's like, wow. Yeah. And so it's just that simple. It's that, but you went one step beyond the cultural norm to serve her. So in your vocations, Think of it. Okay, what's one way we could go one step beyond the cultural norm? We heard Shadonke talking about that yesterday, going one step beyond their cultural norm, and it makes a difference. Okay. Yes, ma'am. So um, I work with special needs adults. Ah, nice. And this just happened this past Sunday. My client was having meltdowns, and so she comes to church with me, and my coworkers, they couldn't get her to calm down, and so they called me, and I clocked in like an hour early, they get her to calm down, and they're like, why do you do that? I'm like, to show her that somebody loves her. That's right. Mm -hmm. that's right. Exactly. Yeah. See, that's that's a great example so, of it. Yeah, so, so today, the heart for me is to stretch our thinking mm -hmm. to realize how the vocations are not just jobs. They're actually a place where God may call us and the impact that can be. And think about it. How many hours? I don't have it. Sonia has it for me, but how many hours you put in, like if you just do the math of say 40 hours a week over 50 years, that's a lot of hours. Yes, it's a lot of hours. And you, if you can know that I can use this to advance God's kingdom relationally by being a good relator, by knowing people that I can pray for, disciple. So I just, I just wanna leave that there with you to think about. Hey, just so you guys know, um, our next session, uh, Laurie's going to join me. We're going to talk about discipling kids. How do you disciple kids in the ways of God? We have a tool with animation. It's pretty awesome. And then the last session today is kind of like last night was on spiritual warfare. It's, I'm going to talk about relinquishing rights. Um, Jesus in Philippians 2 <clears throat> yielded everything. And how do we disciple people to get there to relinquish rights so they can actually be free to follow Jesus? So thanks, you guys. Enjoy being with you today. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode today. I always feel spiritually filled up after listening to Dave Buring talk, so I'm sure that you feel that exact same way. 
Next up, we have more from Lionshare. We got Dave Buring and Lori Jarvis talking to us about our kiddos. In the next episode, they're going to be talking about building children into mature disciples. So if you haven't clicked the subscribe button, go ahead and do that now so that you know when I release that next episode. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I hope to catch you on the next one. See ya. See ya.